everyone. This is Judge Jones. The time is 1 p.m. Central. Today is April the 11th, 2023. Conference muted. This is the docket for Houston, Texas. On the 1 o'clock docket, we have several matters in the jointly administered cases under case number 23-90005, Party City Hold Co. Inc. Folks, please don't forget to record your electronic appearance. That's a quick trip to the website. A couple of mouse clicks. You can do that at any time prior to the conclusion of the hearing. First time that you speak, if you would, please state your name and who you represent. That really does help the court reporters have a good point of reference in the event that a transcript request is made. For the folks in the courtroom, if you do choose to speak, if you would come to the lectern so that you can both be seen and be heard. Because of the noise, we do have... The hand-raising feature activated. If you know you're going to be speaking, go ahead and give me a five-star on your telephone, and I'll get you unmuted. As always, we are recording this afternoon using CourtSpeak. Uh, the audio will be up on the docket shortly after the conclusion of the hearing. And just continuing public announcements that I've made, uh, we have done a fair amount of testing with the calendar link, both for Judge Lopez and I. So if you want to have easier access to um, the complex panel scheduling, you can send Mr. Alonzo an email. He'll get you uh, on the list. You'll get an email every morning at 5 o'clock with an updating calendar link. And again, all you have to do is just send Mr. Alonzo, an email, he'll stick you on the list. I think that covers everything. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Ken Zeman, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, Garrison, on behalf of the Party City Debtors. All right. Um, we are here today on two matters, Your Honor. It's the Grandmark sale, um, or the sale of the Grandmark subsidiary, and it's our uh, conditional approval of our disclosure statement. Uh, before addressing the agenda, if you are interested, I have a few slides to walk through the court, just Love to give an update since we actually haven't been live before you, I think, in some time. That would be terrific. Where would you like control? Could you give it to Megan Yendron for her hedges? I just turned the camera on. There you are. Thank you. All right, you should have control. There we go. Okay, terrific. Um, so as I mentioned, Your Honor, you know, we're happy to be here seeking conditional approval of the disclosure statement to get the confirmation process going. Um, you know, more than 97% of in dollar value of the secured note holders, which are about $900 million in total, um, have executed the RSA. We did receive a late filed disclosure statement objection from one of them. You remember the Mudrick firm had uh, made an appearance at the initial hearing. So we'll address that, you know, at the tail end of the uh, disclosure statement presentation. Right. But uh, they are included within the 97%, notwithstanding that they had filed the objection. Um, you know, 
Four things I'd cover very quickly is just an update on key events, uh, a general business update, um, which thankfully is good news, um, <laughs> a summary of the key terms of the plan, Your Honor, and then just want to highlight um, kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it an issue, but a, a dynamic that's developed between basically the debtors and their wholly owned subsidiary, the Anagram entities. You'll remember that Anagram is the supplier, maker of foil balloons primarily, and supplies party city. Right. with its foil balloons, and then also sells <clears throat> to third parties. And those are non-debtor entities, the Anagram entities. So <clears throat> over on slide seven now, um, you know, uh, the debtors basically outperformed their dip budget through, uh, through the end of March, so through the first quarter of the year. Uh, liquidity seems uh, to be more than adequate to get us through our timeline. Um, now, we will be talking about capital raises in connection with the plan, both the equitization of the dip financing, um, you know, and the rights offering. That capital is necessary to actually emerge. One, we have to pay back our dip in some way, right? So the equitization will be one way in which we pay it back. We'll also pay off some of the balance in cash. And then the rights offering raises capital that's necessary to pay down our uh, ABL, and then we'll roll into an exit ABL. I'll talk about that a little bit more. but. Essentially, we want to emerge with sufficient liquidity so that as we go into our buying season, our very substantial working capital build season in the summertime, going into Halloween, we've got adequate liquidity to do that. Um, you know, fortunately, the debtors have been able to work closely with their vendors uh, to operate on a, as, business, as, <clears throat> as normal as possible during the cases. Um, we've used the court's approval of our... Uh, critical vendor terms to be able to enter into a number of customary trade agreements. And they have yielded both, obviously, some consideration flowing back to the vendors in terms of pre-petition claims, but substantial go-forward terms and really strengthen the working relationship so that we've avoided supply disruptions. <clears throat> and we are paying, of course, our admin claims in the ordinary course. Um, <clears throat> a big part of this coming in also, we talked about earlier in the case, was a lease portfolio rationalization. Uh, we set up some procedures with your honor's help to, to address <clears throat> that part of the initiative, including the ability to assume and re reject contracts, initiate store closings, and to auction off closed store leases. We actually just received bids this week and last for a handful of the closed store leases that we'll be moving forward with <clears throat> in the coming weeks. Um, we have noticed up rejection of about 100 leases. And we commenced the store closing process on, on the 30th. Um, you know, we've also been engaged in a substantial effort to modify leases to avoid rejections. Um, you know, if you recall, we have about 825 stores, 750 or so are leased by us, um, and the other balance are franchised. So we're already out with about 400 uh, negotiated amendments. Um, we've gotten to the finish line on about half of those. The other half are in various stages of the modification process, but all of them are really reflect agreements that have been reached. It's just a matter of where they are in documenting those agreements. We, uh, as we move forward with you know, the plan process, it's our expectation that this will accelerate and we'll be able to hopefully be you know, at a point where we have relatively few rejections and a whole lot of assumptions on amended terms. Um, quick overview of the plan. As I mentioned, Your Honor, the dip claims will be paid in full in cash, although 
those that are held by our ad hoc group members, who were the original RSA parties, they have agreed to equitize their DIP claims consistent with the rights offering terms, i.e., with the same discount, the plan value, and the same fee structure. And that, you know, essentially will provide the means of paying off that portion of the DIP. The balance will get paid in cash. It's our expectation that the ABL will get paid in cash in full by entering into, in part, a pay down, as I mentioned, with proceeds from the rights offering, and in part by a rollover into a new facility. The secured note claims, you know, they receive basically 100% of the equity of the company subject to dilution for both the rights offering and the DIP equitization, and ultimately the management incentive plan that will be incorporated into the plan. They also get subscription rights to participate in the equity rights offering piece of the capital raise. Unsecured creditors, you may have noticed, Your Honor, there's not a specific treatment set forth in the current version of the disclosure statement and plan. We've agreed with the committee that, you know, the contours of it will be a cash pool. That size of that pool is still under negotiation among the stakeholders. The expectation is that that will come to a conclusion very shortly, that we'll send out a notice, you know, file a notice in the docket, and we'll send a notice and ballots to folks, you know, so they can both, you know, they can vote on the plan, and they'll know at that point, you know, what the size of that cash pool is. Existing equity interest in PCHI will be canceled. I think slide 12 I've mostly covered in terms of how we're going to raise capital to do this. It's the combination of the ABL, the equity rights offer, and the DIP equitization. Just to be clear, we are not seeking here approval of the rights offering terms or any of the valuation issues that are raised by the disclosure statement and the plan. We'll file a motion to do that. We'll intend to make that motion returnable at the combined disclosure statement and confirmation hearing. Our proposed timeline is set forth on this slide. We'd make the day of filing the disclosure statement the record date. I don't need to run down this whole list, but the idea here is to get stuff out by the end of this week, but with Monday as a firm deadline, to advise the unsecured creditors next week or at some later date that we in the committee agree, but still with adequate time, to what the GUC cash allocation will be. To deal with landlords and lease rejection and assumption by the 28th of April. File our plan supplement shortly thereafter and work our way to a combined hearing on May 17th. The one issue I wanted to raise and highlight for your honor is that there is engagement right now between the lenders and the anagram entities and their lenders and us, i.e. Party City and its lenders and plan supporters, around the terms of the go-forward supply arrangement. Right now there are contracts in place. Those contracts were put in place back in 2020 when the anagram entities were, I would say, dropped down for purposes of raising capital. That's the transaction the company did in 2020. Three agreements, supply agreement, services agreement, and a cross-license agreement. The circumstances are such that the Party City lenders aren't supportive of maintaining those agreements per their current terms. And there is engagement, as I said, on what the terms of that go-forward supply might be. 
if at the end of the day there can't be agreement, then those contracts may well be rejected. Um, and that you know, we do describe in the disclosure statement with, I think, more than adequate detail, <clears throat> you know, some of the risks around that. But obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it's an economic calculus as to what's kind of best for the go-forward business, you know, in the judgment of obviously management, the board, those who are making the investment into the business. So we'll let that play out. Uh, it is certainly management's hope and our hope that we'll ultimately end up with a consensual arrangement between the, the two entities on a go-forward basis. From a corporate governance matter, I did want to highlight that we, the beginning of the case, not knowing that this would happen, but in the event it did, an independent director was installed at the anagram entities, uh, Mr. Bill Transier, I think he's probably been in a number of cases in front of your honor. Um, Mr. Transier has since retained separate counsel and a financial advisor at the anagram entities to really advise anagram in connection with these discussions, that way we don't sit on both sides, management of party C doesn't sit on both sides, and the fiduciaries are aligned properly. So with that, Your Honor, I think I'll turn it over to Ms. Hotes to, unless others want to make initial comments, I'll let you run your own court, Your Honor. How about that? I'll just sit down. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, Judge. Uh, for the record, Adam Schmid of Davis Polk. Uh, and Wardwell on behalf of the ad hoc group of secured note holders. May I be heard, Your Honor? Of course. Thank you. Um, I'm joined today virtually by Damian Scheibel, who I believe is on GoToMeeting, um, and in person by my colleague James uh, Neuropol and uh, Kelly Norfleet, our co-counsel at Haynes & Boone. Uh, earlier in these cases, we filed a 2019 statement that disclosed that our group consists of four members who hold well in excess of 80% of the first lien debt and in excess of 90% of the dip facility, that was at docket number 150. Uh, we, Your Honor, like the debtors, are pleased with the progress made in these cases to date. The business appears to have stabilized. Um, after the dip was approved in February, it was syndicated to all first lien note holders, um, and the syndication garnered significant participation, and the dip was funded in full last month. Given where we are in these cases, we're now focused on ensuring that the company's emergence out of Chapter 11 is as smooth as its entry into Chapter 11 was. And so unsurprisingly, because the plan contemplates the secured note holders uh, obtaining 100% of the equity ownership in Party City upon emergence, we're thinking and behaving as the future owners of the business. And so in the past several weeks, we've begun working on go-forward corporate governance arrangements, thinking through uh, the right composition for the new board, thinking through the exit ABL structure, the business plan more generally, here, with a plan like what the debtors filed, where most of the dip is equitizing, the secured note holders' distribution is entirely in new stock, and they're putting in new equity money, there's no take-back debt. The capital structure is nearly completely delevered. The recoveries are going to rise and fall based on business performance in the future. And so we're encouraged by the progress made to date, but we're not taking our eyes off the ball, which is to get this company out of bankruptcy as quickly as we can. Uh, with respect to the relief requested uh, by the debtors that's on today's uh, agenda, we're, of course, supportive and we'll defer a response to the Mudrick uh, objection until argument on that matter. I would just like to make three points at this juncture that relate to the points that Mr. Zeman made. Um, first, with respect to the non-debtor anagram entities that Mr. Zeman referred to, if anagram had substantial equity value and its debt uh, were refinanceable, we wouldn't be talking about Anagram at all. 
However, as was disclosed in the disclosure statement, Anagram's debt is in default. The debt may be impaired, and the equity may be worth very little, if anything. And Anagram is confronting its own liquidity issues. The good news, though, is that Anagram's note holders are organized. They're represented by very capable advisors. We're in dialogue with them currently and expect negotiations between our group and the Anagram note holders to intensify in the coming weeks. But two things are certain. First, the status quo is just not sustainable. The presence of defaulted, near-dated debt at Anagram is an issue. The intercompany agreements that Mr. Zeman referred to are an issue. They're wildly off-market. They're one-sided with Anagram-favorable termination rights, Anagram-favorable termination fees, Anagram-favorable supply pricing. These were put into place when the drop-down transaction was put into place about three years ago. So in a scenario where Anagram undergoes its own restructuring and party city's equity is extinguished, the intercompany agreements would be a problem. They'd divert substantial value away from party city toward Anagram. So what I would say is the range of potential outcomes in a negotiation between our group and the Anagram group is wide. But suffice it to say, something needs to happen, and these issues need to be addressed in the near term. And the second thing I would say about Anagram is we're not prepared to let the negotiations with Anagram slow down these cases. That was going to be my question. So they continue and they go wherever they go, but we're not stopping the train. Exactly. So we have a few weeks right now where we're going to get down to brass tacks, and we're either going to come to a deal or we're not. And if we don't come to a deal, we have a decision to make. And we can keep the status quo or we can do what was alluded to in the disclosure statement, which is what the debtor is entitled to do, which is reject the agreements and let the chips fall where they may. So hopefully we reach a deal and achieve a conceptual outcome. But if we don't, we pivot because we don't want these cases to be mired in delay because of those negotiations. The second thing I want to say is with respect to the general unsecured creditor treatment and the creditors committee, to date we've had an excellent relationship with the creditors committee and its advisors. We're encouraged by the articulated desire within the unsecured creditors committee, particularly the landlords, to maintain party city as a going concern, as a go-forward counterparty or a tenant. Currently we're engaged in discussions with the creditors committee council regarding a global plan settlement. Term sheets have gone back and forth. What we wanted to do here, though, was proceed with the plan solicitation process in parallel with UCC negotiations, which is why the plan on file has basically a TBD for gut treatment. Rather than hold up this process, we wanted to put a plan on file that ensures that the guts are solicited and they receive some distribution. To be clear, we don't believe the guts in these cases are entitled to much, if anything. And there was, in fact, some internal debate as to whether we should just file a plan that gives them a zero or introduce a death trap concept where you tie the distribution to voting in favor of the plan. We decided not to do that. We wanted to keep it simple. But it's undeniable that the liquidation analysis here shows that even in a high case, the dip is impaired and the secured and unsecured get no recovery. And here the secured note holders have committed to invest upwards of $225 million in the business just to keep it afloat. And even with that investment based on plan value, the high case to recovery is at most only about 15 cents on the dollar. So this is not a case where there's a whole lot of value to go around. Nevertheless, you know, it's in our interest to avoid potential litigation and disputes with the creditors committee. So as to maximize the likelihood of a smooth ride out of bankruptcy, 
and, and so we see value in reaching a deal, and we hope that we get there with the committee at the end of the day. So if I could, and if I'm breaching confidential discussions, please feel free to tell me. What's the bid and the ask today? You said high side was roughly 15 cents. What? I don't know what that means. Yeah, uh, your, your Honor, with, with apologies and with all due respect, given the status of the negotiations, I'd, I'd rather not answer that question, but Enough. let's just say there is a, a gap that has to be bridged. <laughs> um, and so my third and final point, and apologies for repeating myself, but time is of the essence. Um, every day that passes costs the estate's money, professional fees, interest costs, the unfortunate reputational damage, management discharge, it all adds up. But the good news here is that we believe the plan on file is not only confirmable and actionable, and it has overwhelming creditor support, but it's actually pretty simple and not particularly complicated. We're recapitalizing the business with an equity rights offering and exchanging debt for equity. Uh, that's it. There's no pre-petition sponsor insider transactions. There's no independent investigation, no examiner, no fraudulent conveyance allegations, no good co, bad co, big, messy, 9019 litigation state regulatory overlay, nothing like that. In the grand scheme of things, this is a pretty straightforward restructuring, we think, and we're hopeful because of that that folks will appreciate it um, and we can execute on it very quickly and then get out of bankruptcy in only a couple of months, so not longer. Let me ask you, just given your knowledge of where the discussions are, and I, I appreciate the sensitivity to putting things out in the public before you're ready, do you agree with the statement that you are hopeful that you reach an agreement by the end of the week or over the weekend? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Um, but in case we don't, there is language in the disclosure statement that allows the April 17th deadline to be extended um, if we consent to it, in the, if the debtors consent to it, if the committee. So if we're not there, but we're acting in good faith and it appears that we're making headway, but it's going to take a little longer, then we have an opportunity to. Except. I got that. So in your mind, let's assume that it takes two weeks. And I, I got it that you may not be the right person to answer this question, but I'm curious about your answer. Let's assume it takes two weeks. What happens then from your viewpoint? Because I will just tell you, I mean, what the debtor is seeking conditional approval today. And so the debtor is taking the risk that adequate information is out there. And so I, you know, at some point, Unsecured creditors absolutely deserve to understand what they're voting on. I got where you are, and I'm not, I'm not all that bothered by the fact that everybody's working right now in the same direction to try to get this done. But at some point, you reach, you, you cross a line, I, I guess. And so what's your view of what happens then? Yeah, so there are two outcomes come two weeks from today. We either get to a deal, which would be great, in which case we amend the plan amend the disclosure reflecting the deal, or we just put in a number if it's as simple as a cash number. There are certain non-economic um, terms that are being negotiated that would require a plan amendment beyond just the, 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 the distribution. So we would amend the plan, amend the disclosure statement, get out ballots and notices immediately to the GUCs, um, and, and then they would have notice of what's their, you know, what their distribution would be and they could vote on it. If we don't get to a deal, we have to put something in. Right. Um, and in fact, we debated whether we should just go out with a very low number now because it can only get better so that's from there. Was, that's yeah. where I was headed. You know what you've already offered to do. I mean, 
none of the rest of us do, but you know. And so at some point, does it become a, it will be no less than this? And hopefully in order to avoid a committee objection, it's, you, you reach a deal or you, and that number goes up. I mean, are you in the position to be able to do that by Monday? If yes. You don't reach a deal? Okay. For sure. A, a no less than number. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything else, Your Honor? No, thank okay. you very much. Thank That's you. Very helpful. Who is taking the lead for the committee today? Is that Mr. Feinstein, Mr. Wallen? Yes. Ah, Mr. Yes. Feinstein. Got it. Good afternoon. Robert Feinstein, F-S-T-E-I-N, of the Schulte, Stang, Hill, and Jones. I hope I don't have to spell that. Uh, appearing on behalf of the official committee, uh, and I believe Mr. Wallen's in the courtroom, and Mr. Warner and Mr. Sandler are on the uh, uh, the Zoom, uh, and maybe others. Um, so thank for uh, uh, calling on me. I do want to thank the committee. And I, I, yes, do, I do apologize for interrupting. What you're about to say is extremely important to me, and you're, I'm losing sort of every fifth word. Is there any way I could get you either to go to a headset or just pick up the phone? I'll, I'll try your phone and see if that works. I, they normally do. Yeah. Okay. Is that any better? It is ter terrifically. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thank you, Ryan. So uh, let me um, say, Ryan, that we are resolved for today after a lot of hard work over the last several days. But subject to commentary that the committee wanted me to provide to the court as to where we are and where we aren't on the plan. So since the committee's formation, Your Honor, we tried to be constructive. You'll recall that there was a consensual resolution to the financing motion, which initiated with a proposal from the committee to the lenders, the debtors and grace, that we got to where we were. Um, since that time, everybody's attention has, has turned to the plan. And once again, the committee took the initiative uh, I believe it's now eight days ago, we conveyed a multi-point proposal to the lenders. It's been shared with the debtors. So there, but there hasn't been any response. So when you heard this back and forth, there's been a fourth, but there's been no back. We're still waiting to hear a response to that. Um, and um, we also pushed back from this hearing going forward today because we do think that with everybody negotiating good faith, we could get to a deal fairly soon. But, but there was obviously uh, great resistance to that and, and a determination, really on the lender's part, and the better had to go along with it, to push forward today. Um, and honestly, Your Honor, the committee is, uh, doesn't understand what the urgency is. You heard Mr. Seaman say the debtor has adequate liquidity. And by pushing forward in the manner that they uh, are, they really risk disenfranchising the vast majority of voting creditors in the space. There's a small group of holders we know, but consider that the general unsecured creditors include creditors big and small. You've got a lot of smaller vendors, novelty vendors and the like. You've got foreign vendors. I also think a lot of the landlords are kind of more on the mom and pop side of things for party city stores located at the strip mall. So our job is to make sure that, that our constituents understand the process and what's being proposed to them and have an adequate opportunity to vote. And, and to be clear, the Papers that were filed several days ago did not provide that. Uh, a lot of changes have been made at the insistence of the committee since then. The initial filing contemplated a May 8th voting deadline and that this GUP allocation cash amount would be uh, identified uh, no later than 10 days before the voting deadline. 
papers didn't state how that amount was going to be announced to the voting creditors. Uh, I don't know if there's any announcement contemplated. Uh, so they would have had to go find it, I guess, on the claims agent website, but there was no instruction in the initial paper. So you'll see, rather, that, that there's several very important changes to credit improvise and create a voting process that works for general unsecured creditors. So that's why this data announcing the gut allocation cash amount was accelerated by 11 days to the 17th. The voting deadline was pushed back by a day. So now we have a 20-day period for voting, and, and perhaps as important, if not more so, when the gut cash amount is identified, creditors are going to get a second mailing. Again, this is why I don't understand why we're going down this road, but apparently we are. So the second mailing will include um, a supplement that identifies the cash allocation amount, any terms of a consensual deal if one is reached, or simply the cash amount if no deal is reached, um, and, a, 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 and a letter from the committee that explains things. And on the front end, what we've included for today, Your Honor, is a letter that was attached as an exhibit to the proposed form of order, which is a letter from the committee, which I've never done before, that says don't vote, that says defer your vote. Because right now you don't know what you're getting. Uh, so with those, you know, with Scott States and, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Google and so forth, we managed to cobble together a process that doesn't disenfranchise the vast majority of creditors in this case. And again, the committee is just curious why, why we're doing it this way. That there's, there's no urgency that, that requires deviating from the conventional voting process in a Chapter 11 case, um, but, but here we are. So, um, with the changes that were made, we think we have a process that, that is workable. Um, we hope that we'll get a response to our uh, proposal, uh, we'll order before Monday, and we can reach agreement. And I would hope on Monday, because pushing it out a week or two, while we provide it for the date to be extended, um, it, it cuts into the opportunity for people to vote. And, and you know, there is electronic balloting, so you know, people don't have to worry about getting in the mail several days beforehand. But we're compressing the time, and you know, it's one thing to have a disclosure statement a few days after all the documents are filed. The professionals have to read up and so forth and show up at a hearing. That notice, I understand, is shortened all the time. Voting isn't shortened all the time, and, and there's no urgency here that, that, that warrants that. So at least we've gotten through today, Your Honor, by developing a, a process that, that, that works. There were other things that we pushed back on that would have tried to accelerate the process. A bunch of landlord issues that I I think we dispensed with. Um, so, you know, we're, we're at a point where we can at least not object to the process that's being pursued by the debtors and the lenders. Uh, we think we've done our best to kind of minimize the confusion that it will engender. Um, and of course, you know, we reserve all of our rights to contest confirmation because to be clear, until we have a deal, we don't. Um, and there are a number of issues in the plan documents like the classification of intercompany claims. To be clear, if there's an anagram rejection plan, you know where they're going to put that. They're going to put that in the general unsecured file, even though all the other intercompany claims will be treated differently. There are some kind of issues, intercompany claim issues, more like fair and equitable. Well, this is reserved for the future. We hope to get to the deal. If we don't, you'll, you'll, you'll hear from us. So I'm happy to answer any questions, but that's what the committee wants to get back to. Mr. Feinstein, I appreciate the approach, and I appreciate the flexibility that the committee has exhibited thus far. Um, I'll keep my fingers crossed that you are able to bridge the gap. I, I will just tell I will just tell everyone I'm really starting to focus in on. I really would like the disclosure statement if it's if it's going to be if it's potentially going out without a deal. I would like it to say 
no less than blank. Whatever, I don't care what the blank is. I, that's what will motivate parties to either vote for or against the plan. But I'm really coming around to I would like for it to say no less than blank. And you can put in that the committee and the and the and the debtor or the committee and the lenders or all three parties are continuing to try and reach a consensus, which will only increase the amount. I'm perfectly happy with any of that, but I. And really coming to the conclusion, I would like it to see a no less than that unless you give me a really good reason why we can't say that. Okay. Let me ask, is there anyone, uh, Mr. Ruff, I see you there. Um, U.S. Trustee been able to get its uh, get its arms around all of this? We have, Your Honor, and uh, I just provide some, um, albeit later than I would hope, uh, comments to the debtors. And, and uh, we've only had some of the same concerns here as far as timing. Um, I know that the proposed uh, time to get the, the plan and material served out is, is by next Monday. And, um, you know, from our perspective, we're always wanting parties to have at least the 28 days that the, that the rules prescribe um, to be able to review and consider things. And But with the time frame that's proposed here, there's, there is less than that, assuming that the materials go out next Monday. Uh, and I think it's especially important given the fact that we sort of have some balls up in the air, so to speak, as far as the values. Now, maybe that's solved by at least um, what has been discussed here is, is putting out at least the minimum. Hey, you'll get at least this, so creditors can consider that. But So so one of the issues really is, is just timing. Um, we would push for, for whatever the time is for, the materials to go out that parties would have at least 28 days from there. So if objection deadlines need to be moved um, and the proposed confirmation period date needs to be moved, I mean, that would be our preference. Um, because the response that I got back is um, to our request to shorten or get the materials out sooner, but that, that was probably more, more difficult. And hearing this conversation now, I, I think I understand why. Um, so that's one issue. And then, um, I'll, I'll just note for your honor to your, your favorite subject of exculpation is, is, is an issue, but more for confirmation, not for solicitation. And uh, we have been able to narrow the gap somewhat, but uh, it is still out there. And um, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, that we'll be able to bridge that. If not, we'll bring it up with your honor uh, next time around. Got it. And I'm hoping that the parties have been listening about at confirmation, perhaps, considering other evidentiary support uh, to aid in the findings that will give comfort to everybody on that issue. So I see a couple of nods, so we'll, just, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, Mr. Ruff, anything else? Nothing else from our perspective, Your Honor. Thank you. All right, thank you. Is there anybody else that wants to make uh, what I'll just take as opening argument, not, not evidence, of course? If you hadn't already done so, five star on your phone. If you, Mr. Novak, Novak, excuse me, are you, are you live? Uh, I believe so. Yes, you, you are. Me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, great. Thanks. I'll, I'll make what might be opening and closing arguments today because they're relatively straightforward, uh, and I think I can present them fairly quickly. Um, and, and I think doing so is really in the interest of the estate and the debtors as well as our client because if the 
this doesn't seem like the typical case where you have a combined disclosure and plan hearing, but if that's the direction that this is going, then the disclosure statement should be as complete and fulsome and accurate as possible. And I think it's to everybody's benefit to work towards that before it goes out. Since we first appeared on the first day, we've really highlighted one issue. I'm not here today to talk about all our potential complaints about the plan, but that one issue was that for the majority lenders, their dip claims convert into reorganized equity at a discounted price. Nobody else has that right, and neither the discount nor the value to which that discount is applied was disclosed. It wasn't disclosed in the RSA or the dip documents, which is why the court basically, at least directionally, agreed with us and carved out our objection rights on that issue early on in the case. And it was not disclosed a week ago when the debtors filed the motion that's being heard today, but it did turn up over the holiday weekend. And what turned out is just as concerning as we thought it would be. The headline number, if you just read the plan quickly, is that the discount to equity at which the dip can be converted for the majority lenders, not the minority lenders, is 35%, a number that seems to be the very top of what's ever been approved and way off the median. And just that number alone would by itself mean that they get back about $2.10 for every dollar that they want, or actually that's the annualized rate. It's a tremendous return on the dip. Then when you dig in a little further, you see that the number that the discount to get seems to be an arbitrary number. It's somewhere around $383 million. There's no explanation for that number. And when you look at the valuation performed by MOLAS, that's the very bottom of the range, rather than where you would expect to see it at the midpoint. And based on the debtors' overperformance to projections, which is terrific, those numbers are only moving up. So what we have is the majority taking a really outsized portion of the reorganized equity, getting themselves a return probably in the over 150% return on their dip loan, possibly higher. And then they're doing an equity raise where the equity is also at a 35% discount, but it's offered to the pre-petition no-holders, of which they hold over 80%. So they're offering another discounted equity raise to themselves over there. They're taking a $7.5 million other backstop fee on the new equity raise, even though the debt they don't hold is under $10 million. That $7.5 million also gets repaid in discounted equity, so it's really equal to about $11 million. And probably the biggest problem, especially on the biggest problem, is that they're overpaying themselves to the exclusion of junior creditors and secure creditors. But the biggest problem from a disclosure perspective is you don't see it anywhere. The notional number for the new equity is at the bottom of the range 
of the actual valuation, and that valuation is probably going up based on the last month or two of operating proceedings, and it's pegged there. Why isn't it in the middle of the range? Why isn't it flexible based on what the valuation is when we get to the confirmation hearing? And as a consequence, the conversion rate for the debt, for the majority, is somewhere around 50%. And that's 50% not just the principal, but also of the 30% or so of fees and interest on the debt. It's an absolutely astonishing recovery and grab of the new equity in the company that we've never seen in any other cases before. So what we're really hoping is that the next four or five weeks are used to renegotiate this down to a level that people can, in good faith, approve of and stand in front of the court and not say every dollar of debt loans that were made, you get back $2.50 of equity, while the pre-petition secured lenders, without the rights offering, are getting somewhere like a third of a cent, according to the plan. This money is all coming out of senior secured creditors, but only the minority. The class is not being treated parity to suit. So we think this needs to be fixed as an economic matter for this to be a confirmable plan. It's just completely off the market and off the reservation. But for today's purposes, we don't think the disclosure statement should go out unless it adequately discloses this information, which is that the 35% discount, as large and astonishing as it is, isn't off the midpoint of the plan value and isn't going to change if the plan value increases with continuing positive performance, but is at the very low end of the number. We don't know any methodological reason for this. If there is one, it hasn't been disclosed, and that's the nature of the objection. We've raised a concern that the majority lenders would use their sort of monopoly power over the dip to take as much of the company as they want, and this actually makes an enormous impact on what the pre-petition minority creditors will, what crumbs are left over for them, or whether there will be something meaningful on the pre-petition debt. So if we're going to do a combined disclosure statement and confirmation hearing, it makes an awful lot of sense that all of this is well disclosed before this goes out to the creditors, the real numbers, the real discount, what the real recovery is for the dip lenders and the majority lenders, so people can compare to how little everybody else in the case is getting. And I'm sure people can say we can have this fight at confirmation, but it's confirmation, and it's a great idea to get the disclosure issues as buttoned up as possible before the confirmation hearing if we're going to have a combined hearing. So that's the nature of the objection, and I don't think we're going to need a lot of evidence or any evidence to pursue it because it's really a disclosure objection about lack of disclosure, about lack of transparency about the real values and the real consideration that's going to the majority note holders and the effects on how much of the company they're going to own at the end of the day, which might be 94% to 96%, where 
more market-based terms would reduce that considerably and put those funds into pre-petition secured creditors' pockets who are now looking at some one-cent recoveries. Great. Thank you, Mr. Elvick. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Good afternoon, Your Honor. May I be heard? Of course. Good afternoon. Thank you, Your Honor. For the record, Jennifer Valdez, Kelly, John, and Warren, on behalf of several landlords, as noted in our electronic appearance, we represent a combined 77 leases with the debtors. Your Honor, I first wanted to note that we appreciate the efforts of Party City Council to work with us in advance of the hearing and make several modifications to the plan, the disclosure statement, to address many of our concerns, particularly the efforts of Ms. Hotz to streamline those changes among several different parties and to regularly circulate revised drafts to us. I just wanted to note that while the documents as proposed represent a compromise on several issues that are important to our clients, one of the issues that remains at this point is when lease assumption and rejection decisions are made and whether or not the debtors are able to change their mind about that after the plan is confirmed. I believe this is a plan confirmation issue and it's not right for your consideration today, but I did want to note it because it is so critical to our clients. In the coming weeks, we'll attempt to reach a consensual resolution of this issue with debtors' counsel, and if that's not possible, we'll be back before your Honor at the confirmation hearing to discuss it. Makes perfect sense to me, and I very much appreciate your alerting me to it. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Mr. Zeman, you said you were going to respond to the Mudrick objections at the appropriate time. Is now the appropriate time? Well, I'll ask you, Your Honor, is now the appropriate time, or should we just go through the process and catch it at the back end in case anything else comes up? However you'd like to proceed, I'm good either way. Well, then let me just address it since it's fresh in your mind and ours as well. So I think Mr. Novick has it right. This is a confirmation issue, right? He made the same argument or similar argument without the benefit of numbers at the initial hearing in the matter. Your Honor granted him some reprieve in a manner that was preserving 1129A rights, if my memory is correct, and he has those rights. Now, as far as the disclosure and the adequacy of the disclosure, I would just start with the fact that he figured it out. I mean, he just presented to you a very thoughtful – I mean, I'm not saying he's right on the math, but I'm saying that he went through the numbers and his colleagues went through the numbers, and they just basically – they have a view as to what, you know, kind of the effect of a 35% discount off of a 381 equity value is, and that 381 is lower than the midpoint of the range, and the range is now disclosed and exhibits the disclosure statement. Right. You know, if there is supplemental disclosure that he would like us to provide, we're happy to kind of get that from him, but I don't know that we should be in a position of having to draft something that satisfies him. Obviously, we'll take guidance from Your Honor, you know, on that point too, but it seems to me that just in a matter of a couple days that he complained about the short notice, he was able to figure it out. So I would think that others who are – remember, this is only going out – this piece is relevant only to the sophisticated parties who are lenders to the company. I don't think the disclosure on that front is inadequate. These are people who can figure out, do the math, come up with a view as to whether or not they feel like they're being disenfranchised and or disadvantaged relative to the majority lenders and, you know, say their piece of confirmation. Let me just – I want to make sure I understood what you just said. And so, number one, I tend to agree with you because the nature of the plan to the rank-and-file trade credit is you get a percentage of a pot, and so this issue is irrelevant to what they decide. 
or it should be if everyone is an economic actor. Um, I agree with you that I don't think that Mr. Novick is lacking any information at all. I think he has exactly everything he needs to make the arguments that he wants to make. But as what I heard you say was, if, if Mr. Novick wants to have a paragraph that you can disagree with in the disclosure statement, but that he wants to submit, again, without any personal attacks or, or making it, uh, having it be personal in any shape, way, or form, if he wants to include a paragraph that Mudrick believes the following, you have no objection to No objection, just that. timing, Your Honor. I'd like that paragraph today so we could hash it out by the, by the morning at the latest so we have a final version that we can move forward with. And solicit. So, Mr. Novick, do you want to take advantage of that offer? Uh, yes, we will take advantage of that offer. All right. So what I would like to do, um, and again, Mr. Zeman, what the way that, and I'm not suggesting that this is the only way or even the best way, is I used to deal with these issues by simply bracketing the paragraph by saying, you know, we've received the following or the court has instructed us to include the following paragraph. We disagree with it for many reasons, but Mudrick Capital states as follows and include the paragraph. Don't, again, so long as it's not in any way inflammatory or inappropriate, um, if it's just we believe the following facts to be true, it says 35, but we believe it's 50 and, and the issues that Mr. Novick ran through. My view of it, he's really informing himself, and I, I get what's going on. Uh, but if he wants to include that, and you can disagree with it at the end, and you know, Mr. Novick, I'll give you, uh, you know, I'll give you until tomorrow at noon to get that paragraph to counsel. You you read from a really nicely prepared statement, so it shouldn't be that hard to transform it into uh, a, a paragraph that you wouldn't mind having be included in the disclosure statement on behalf of your client. Your Honor, I just consult on the time issue. Sure. Sorry, I, Mr. Novick, I, I didn't know if you heard that, Mr. Zeman. I, I randomly chose a time, and Mr. Zeman is conferring, I think, with the person who's actually responsible to see if I've done something to trip over the mailing service or anything like that. We'll get a first draft uh, a proposal to him tonight. Not tomorrow. Okay. I, I was actually ad living that speech, but it, it will not be hard to turn that into a paragraph. Then, then you are a wonderfully eloquent uh, advocate for your client. Did you hear that, Mr. Zimmy? He said he'd get you something tonight. Yes, because I think, Your Honor, we would like very much to have the disclosure statement in position. I mean, if we could get the order entered. We wanted it tonight. Sounds like that's going to be a challenge based on you know accommodating Mr. Novick. So uh, I don't think that so I don't think that that challenges getting an order done at all. Um, I I have an easy way of dealing with that. That's great. Um, as long, and then I think look I think we dealt with Mr. Novick in connection with you know the, the dip hearing and this and the final dip hearing. Uh, I trust Mr. Novick will serve something up. I'll disagree with it entirely, but we'll put it in. Yeah, you can shortcut some. And if there's something inflammatory, you know, I'm sure we'll be able to have a conversation and resolve it. Yeah, and you know what what you get to do is you get to bracket it both beginning and end, and he doesn't get any input on how you bracket it again, so long as you're not in any way inappropriate or inflammatory. So there shouldn't be any going back and forth. It ought to be 
here's what we got, and assuming that it tracks what he just said on the record, shouldn't be a big issue. And without debating everything he said on the record, obviously there's a lot of background to where we are and where we got to, and that'll be part of the evidentiary record that we'll put forward to conservation the extent we need to do that. Oh, totally agree. Thank All you. Right. Then, and everybody's okay with that. Great. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, then do you want to go ahead and... Your Honor? Yes, sir. Excuse me, Your Honor. Okay. Could I be heard just on a related timing issue? Of, of um, course. So the, the, thank you. Again, the, Robert Feinstein for the record. So the, the form of letter that was submitted by the debtors was our form of letter that said, don't vote because we don't know what you're going to get. It, it, to the extent that they're going to move now to say not less than a dollar amount, we need to change our letter because it would be very confusing to people. It will say reject the plan for a number of reasons. So we'll have to put that together. And, and I, you know, so, and I know based on the conversations we've had over the last several days that everybody, the holders that ever want to see that letter. So we need to draft it. We need to get it in their hands so that it can go out with the package. Uh, it won't delay the disclosure statement printing itself because it's a separate document, but we do need an opportunity to put together a, a letter that now conforms to what's going to happen in, in the revised plan. Mr. Zeman, seems like a fair request, but I don't know. I don't know what all of the all of the practical deadlines are. Again, that's fine. I think that we um, the idea is we're going to get solicitation out. We're going to try really hard to do it by Friday. Okay. If not, we're going to spill over till Monday. Okay. So obviously, if we can get something from committee council in the next day, I'm guessing that won't be an issue, will it, Mr. Right? Feinstein? No, we can we can do that. That, that should be fine. All right. Now I was going to turn the podium over to Ms. Hoax to Terrific. walk through the rest of the agenda. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. For the record, Grace Hutz of Paul Weiss, Counsel to the Debtors. We have two items on the agenda today. Um, as my colleagues and, and co-counsel have been pre previewing, we have the conditional approval of the disclosure statement. And then we have a sale motion related to Grandmark, which is one of the debtors, non-debtor subsidiaries. So uh, if it's okay with your honor, I'll start with the first item, which is conditional approval of the disclosure statement. Okay. Yesterday, the debtors filed an initial uh, witness and exhibit list at docket number 830. And this morning, we filed a supplemental witness and exhibit list at uh, docket number 843. One of the witnesses on the list is uh, Mr. David Orlovsky, the debtor's chief restructuring officer. Um, and at this time, we would call him to the stand uh, virtually. Right. I see him on my screen here. Um, Mr. Orlovsky, can you just confirm for me that you can hear me? So I can't hear you. Had you do you have me muted from your side, perhaps, or had you not hit five star? How about now? I hear you. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Thank you. All right. Um, okay. Great. If, you, if you would, please raise your right hand. Do you swear from the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. All right. Thank you. Whenever you're ready. Good afternoon, Mr. Orlovsky. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. Would you please state your name for the record? David Orlovsky. Where are you employed? Uh, Alex Partners. What is Alex Partners? 
Alex Partners is a global uh, consulting firm that does a lot of different things, but uh, one of the key areas of focus is turnaround and restructuring services, and that's the uh, group that I work at. Do you have any other employment for purposes of this case with the Party City debtors? Yes, I'm the Chief Restructuring Officer uh, for Party City. Could you describe your professional experience at a high level? Sure. For the last uh, 23 years, I've worked in the uh, turnaround and restructuring uh, area. Uh, for the, uh, the last four years at Alice Partners and the prior 19 uh, before that at Zolfo Cooper, which was acquired by Alice Partners about four and a half years ago. Do you have a copy of the debtor's disclosure statement for the first amended plan with you today? I do. So I'd like you to look at that document. And at the top, do you see a document number in blue? I do. And what is that number? 843-4. Okay, great. I just want to ensure we're referring to the same document. Do you recognize this document? I do. Could you please tell us what this document is? This is the disclosure statement um, for Party City. And in your role as a member of the Alex Partners team and the Chief Restructuring Officer of the debtors, have you reviewed the disclosure statement in its entirety? I have. To your knowledge, is everything in the disclosure statement accurate? I believe it is. And based on your review, does the disclosure statement provide sufficient information for each party that's eligible to vote to decide how to vote, including to describe mechanics for, for supplemental disclosures? I believe it does, yes. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. I pass the witness. All right. Thank you. Anyone have any cross? All right. Thank you, Mr. Orlovsky. Thank you for your testimony. I would like for you to make sure you stay on the line. Okay. All right. Thank you. So the debtors filed the motion seeking conditional approval of the disclosure statement and approval of the solicitation procedures. That motion was filed at docket number 794. And based on the motion and the testimony of Mr. Orlovsky today, the debtors submit that they have satisfied the requirements under Section 1125 of the Bankruptcy Code for approval of the disclosure statement on a conditional basis and for approval of the solicitation procedures um, as may be modified as we've discussed today. So as you've heard from others today, as we led, uh, leading up to this hearing, we received several comments and informal and a few formal objections from various parties, including the Creditors Committee and various of the debtors' landlords. Um, we've worked closely with them to revise the disclosure statement and the related materials and appreciate them working constructively with us. In addition to the Mudrick objection, there was also a formal uh, objection filed by one of the debtor's landlords. Uh, we believe that that has been resolved at this point, um, subject to, to their counsel's right to appear and disagree if, if they think otherwise. We filed amended documents yesterday um, reflecting the additional disclosures, including a revised plan. This is Exhibit 16 um, at 
docket number 843-3. We filed the disclosure statement for the amended plan, which is Exhibit 17 at docket number 843-4. Yesterday, we filed the proposed order approving the disclosure statement, which is Exhibit 14, document number 843-1. There were also a few minor revisions that were filed right before this hearing at docket 845. We filed red lines highlighting these changes, and if it's okay with Your Honor, I think it would be helpful to just walk through some of the high-level ones that flow through the documents, and then I can address any questions. So I've had a chance to look at 847. I don't have any questions. I appreciate the work. The changes all make perfect sense to me. The document's gotten better. I compliment everybody that played a role in that. So I'm entirely comfortable with how that's progressed. So with that, the debtors would request that the court approve the disclosure statement order subject to us uploading the revisions that we've discussed today, unless you have any questions that we should talk about. Certainly. Let me ask. Anyone else wish to be heard? All right. Again, I think that the standard for conditional approval is relatively low because the debtor takes all the risk that there is some deficiency in the disclosure. I've had a chance to go through it. I have confidence that Mr. Orlowski has done his absolute best to ensure that an accurate picture of the proposed plan is out there for people to see. With the modifications that we've talked about on the record, which is including the no less than X, whatever X is, for the general unsecureds, as well as including the paragraph from Mr. Novick, again, I think the disclosure statement has gotten better. With respect to the notices and the forms that were there, there are notices and forms that I've seen before. They are all intended to ensure that people get an opportunity to exercise their right to vote and participate in the confirmation process if they wish. So again, on a conditional basis, I am just fine with the notice. The parties that truly have an interest in this process have all had ample opportunity to participate. I've heard the complaints. I got it. This is setting up potentially a confirmation fight. I think everybody's done their job, and the process has worked because I think the document has gotten better, and everybody is well aware of the issues that are going to be dealt with at confirmation. So I don't have any concerns at all. Again, I've had the opportunity to review the proposed order at 845. I very much appreciate the red line at 847. It made lunch a lot of fun. But I have signed 845. Again, I don't see the need to wait for another version. You folks know the changes you need to make. The record is very clear with the changes that need to be made. Everybody's got their homework assignments with the committee's letter, Mr. Novick's paragraph, and you're working with the lenders. Again, I assume you know what the term sheets say. I don't. But whatever that number is, then that will be the sentence in the no less than blank. So I'm just okay that that will get done. I'll leave it to you to herd everybody and get the information so that you can start working on the solicitation process. Order's on its way to docketing. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. 
So moving on to the sale motion, starting with the evidence, Mr. Orlovsky has submitted a declaration in support of this motion. This was filed as Exhibit 10, docket number 830-10. We would request that the court move the declaration to evidence, and as with before, Mr. Orlovsky is on the line if any party wishes to cross-examine him. All right, thank you. Anyone have an objection to the admission of Mr. Orlovsky's declaration for purposes of today's hearing only that can be found at 830-10? All right, it is admitted. Anyone wish to cross-examine Mr. Orlovsky on the declaration? All right, then his declaration is admitted with no cross. So as previewed, the debtors have filed a motion seeking authorization of the sale of the stock of their subsidiary, Grandmark, and entry into a related stock purchase agreement. The motion was filed at docket number 760. Grandmark is not a debtor in these cases, but is a large party goods company based in Mexico, and it largely operates as a standalone company within the debtor's corporate structure. Prior to Chapter 11, and actually stemming back to 2021, the company made the decision that it would be in their best interest to market and sell the company. And as part of this process, Grandmark was marketed for sale extensively, both in the United States and Mexico, to approximately 130 purchasers. Ultimately, the debtors, with the assistance of their advisors, determined that it would be in their best interest to sell Grandmark to two Mexico-based purchasers that operate in the same space. And they reached agreement over the terms of the proposed sale, which are outlined in the motion and the purchase agreement, which is at docket number 830-13. Under the proposed sale, the debtors would sell 100% of the stock to the purchasers for an estimated purchase price of $5.4 million. Of this amount, approximately $3.1 million would be immediately available to the debtors at closing. And there are also certain contingent considerations that could provide additional value to the debtors in the future. The sale was negotiated at arm's length. The debtors believe that the sale is a unique opportunity to maximize value for the estates, and that the purchase price is the most competitive price out there, given the extensive marketing of the asset. Prior to the filing of the motion, the debtors previewed the sale and shared related diligence with counsel to the dip lenders and the creditors committee, each of whom does not object to the sale. And we have not received any other objections leading up to this hearing. The buyers are eager to close, so we would request that the court approve the sale and the debtors' entry into the purchase agreement. Let me ask, with respect to the purchase agreement, which the sealed document is at 775, do you have any objection to my admitting that because I've read it? Do you have any objection to my admitting it, keeping it sealed absent further order? But just since I've read it, it's hard for me not to think about it, and I would like that part of the record since I've thought about it. No objection from us. All right, thank you. Then I'll admit what is found on the docket. It's the purchase agreement found at docket number 775. All right? Okay. Let me ask, I lost Mr. Feinstein. Mr. Wallen, are you handling this portion on behalf of the committee, or is that Mr. Feinstein as well? 
Ah, he's back. No, I got it. Um, Mr. Feinstein, I just I want to know that you've had ample opportunity to look at that and that you concur in the debtor's business judgment. Uh, we have, Your Honor, and actually I was going to flag for you, but there's language that's, that was put into paragraph 18 of the final order at our request. It's uh, something that we didn't have a chance to review this. Um, <clears throat> because the um, subsidiary is being sold only two-thirds of the equity are pledged to the lender, one-third is unencumbered. So we put in language that the receiving the proceeds of the company won't affect the committee's challenge, right? So uh, uh, we are supporting with the transaction itself. Obviously, that's commentary in the order, and we're good to go. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Anyone else wish to be heard? All right. In the absence of any objection or challenge uh, to the requested relief, uh, again, I've had the opportunity to look at it with the benefit of, of hindsight. Absolutely clear to me that this is the debtor exercising its prudent business judgment. I've, I feel comforted that I've got the committee. Uh, looking over the debtor's shoulder, and they concur. Again, there is no other opposition. I will grant the motion. Just want to make sure the order that I went through was 760-3. Just want to make sure there wasn't a subsequent amendment. If that was the version that was originally filed, that's the correct one. All right, yeah. thank you. And with that... Order has been signed and it's on its way to docketing. Great. Right. That concludes our agenda today. Right. Thank you. So practically, it. let me ask, because I know that you're the one who has to do all this work, or at least you are part of the team that has to do all this. Do you have everything that you need? So that, and I'm not commenting on whether the process was the right one or the wrong one, but with the process having been put in motion, do you have everything that you need to get done what you've been tasked to do? Subject to receipt of the things that we talked about from okay. the committee and um, if you run into Council, a problem, yes. I want to know. Okay. I, I don't. I'm trying to be as transparent and to make participation in the process be as open as possible. I have zero belief that anybody would take advantage of that and try to use it tactically. But if they do, I want to know. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anything else that we need to address, Mr. Zima? No, Your Honor. All right. Terrific. Then I've got another here that's supposed to start at 2. I'm not going to step down. Thank you for the hard work, everybody. Safe travels home. Thank you. And we'll be adjourned. Folks who